0: Wonderful being here this morning, and I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Psalm 2. Psalm number 2. Let us read God's Word. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in their region. Then He shall speak to them in His wrath and in distress, then in His deep displeasure. Yet... I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore... Be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. So far, the reading of God's word. Let us ask for the Lord's blessing in the sermon this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, great Lord of all lords and King of kings, we come before your present, Lord, knowing that we are sinners and we have fallen short of the glory of God. So, O oh Lord, have mercy on us and speak to us from thy throne, O oh Lord. Let us see the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ Lift up our heads so that we can see the king sitting on Zion. And, O Lord, let us draw near to thy throne through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, the only way that we can stand before your holy throne, O Lord. So let us hear the voice of the king this morning, and let us worship you, Lord, before thy footstool. We pray all these in Jesus' name. Amen. Many Christians would evaluate our days and times as going from bad to worse, as what we see happening in our society goes directly against our scriptures tells us. Morality is going from bad to worse. And what is happening is a real mockery of what the Bible tells us. In 20 eighteen there has there have been over six hundred and twenty thousand cases of abortion in the US for example and this is what is called healthcare or in social, modern social medias such as Facebook you can find a list of over fifty six genders to choose from and this is how society calls what society calls gender identity. So morality is going from bad far and far away from scriptures. But how can we make sense of what is happening around us? How can we make sense from what we see happening when sometimes it contradicts what we believe to be true? Well, we will see on Psalm 2 how earthly realities cannot change the heavenly decree that Christ is King. But this can change our lives. And for that end, we are going to meditate under four headings, which are the four divisions of this psalm. First, verses 1 to 3, the rebellion against Christ. Then second, verses 4 to 6, the heavenly authority of Christ. Third, 7 to 9, the testimony by Christ. And fourthly, verses 10 to 12, Judgment or deliverance in Christ. It does appear sometimes that evil is winning the battle. But this psalm, this text, unveils for us the reality. Or, as a preacher said, it gives us the assurance that heaven rules. You see, these two psalms, Psalms 1 and 2, they were placed at the opening of the Psalter for a reason. You see, the psalter is not organized chronologically. The first psalm, the psalm of Moses, psalm 90, is placed at almost the middle of the psalter. But here we have, at the opening of the psalter, these two psalms. These two psalms standing as doorkeepers of the psalter for a reason. And we will see that this morning. We start this psalm with a very contemporary image, the raging of the hidden, as the psalmist asks, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The psalmist is giving voice to the rebels here, asking a rhetorical question. He's not expecting to hear a coherent answer from them. No, but he's expressing his indignation. Why? How? How could they do this? Why do the nations Rage, and the people plot a vain thing. And we may miss here in our translation a very important connection with Psalm 1 already. Where we, re- where we read here, the people plot a vain thing, is the very same word that appears in Psalm 1 verse 2. For those who meditate, and in his law he meditates day and night. The very same word, the idea of someone talking to himself, muttering to himself. But in this case, in the case of Psalm 2, a vain thing. The author wants us to have the connection between these two psalms in mind. These two psalms are very much connected. As we read in Psalm 1, the godly man meditates in God's law. But the ungodly meditates in vain. The psalm... The Psalm 1 voices the individual who walks in God's ways. But in Psalm 2, we find at the very closing that the end, the way of the ungodly, is destruction. So these two Psalms are connected. But now in Psalm 2, we have the ungodly to the second power. Now the ungodly are taking positions of leadership, they are standing as rulers kings over nations. We have the ungodly to the second power. And though those people would not call it vain themselves. That is, they did not wake up in the morning and say, hey, let's overthrow the Lord. But yet, even without saying, even without expressing it, that was exactly what they were doing. Trying to overthrow the Lord. Taking a position of battle We will see how this is a military psalm. They were taking a position of battle against the Lord. And even without saying, even without expressing it, we could be doing the same thing. We can do the same thing when we simply say, or when our culture says around us that God doesn't exist and I can do whatever I want. It's the same thing. It's a mockery. To the king is a mockery and rebellion to the one who rules in the heavens. The godly man meditates in God's law, but the wicked meditates in vain. And when we engage the culture of our days, even without saying, we could be doing the same thing. And those things, they even try to sneak into the church if possible, this mentality that there is such a thing as neutrality that you can be neutral but we cannot believe the lies of our culture. If we engage those things, we'll be meditating in vain, aligning ourselves with those who are in mockery and rebellion against the Lord. And this timeless conspiracy of, the, of Psalm 2 is quoted in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, we find the climax of the raging of the heathen, of the, the climax, the apex of the mockery and rebellion against the Lord. When kings and rulers, that is Pontius Pilate and Herod, tried to kill the Lord, as they plotted against the Lord Jesus himself, we find that in Acts 4, verses 25 through 27, we have the raging of the heathen, kings and rulers, and not only that, all nations... Even Israel, even those who were supposed to be God's people, were now aligned with the enemy to plot against the king, to kill the king, the Messiah himself. And what is said then in Acts is very coherent with what is said in the next verse, confirming against whom they are setting themselves. Verse 2, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, and against His anointed, the Lord. And notice first the, the posi- how aggressive, is, is say, their, their position against the Lord. They set themselves, this is a position of battle. They're setting themselves, they were preparing to battle, as if they were picking up the sword and getting ready for battle against the Lord. They're setting themselves, siding together against the Lord preparing to fight against the Lord. And notice the capital letters in your Bible. Against the Lord, Yahweh, the great I Am, the Lord of Lords. And against the Anointed, the Messiah, Jesus Christ Himself. So it should not surprise us today that the world hates so much Christians and Christianity. For the Lord Jesus himself said in John fifteen eighteen that the world hated him before hating us. It should not surprise us that they set themselves against the church in the same way that they did to the Lord Jesus himself. The hatred for the Messiah he spills over his people as well. And this is signing up for battle. Coming to church, becoming a Christian, is signing up for battle, to pick up our cross and ultimately to die for this. It's a battle. Psalm 2 is a psalm of battle. It's a military psalm that places us, prepares us to enter the field into war. I wonder when did Christianity become to live your best life now? Christianity is about war, preparing for war, battle against the world and all those who come in rebellion against the Lord to mock the king. And now we stand by the king to fight. And this is the same image that we have in Hebrews chapter 11, the famous hall of faith, Hebrews 11, that shows all those who live by faith that walked by faith. But the end, the end of the chapter, from verse 35 to the end, we see how the hall of faith is also a hall of blood. We read in Hebrews 11:35 onwards, "...others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection." and others had trial of cruel mockings and scorching, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth so when did christianity become this pursuit of earthly happiness to live your best life now this is war this is signing up for battle to live as whom the world was not worthy it's not a synonym of being loved on the contrary this is often a synonym of being hated by the world, of being persecuted by the world. If the church is living a peaceful life with the world, is standing shoulder to shoulders with the kings and rulers of all times and saying that we profess the same thing, that we can live in neutrality and peace, this should shock us. Are we really living the faithful belief? Are we really living in accordance to what the Scripture says and tell us to do so? But why are they doing this? You may ask. Verse 3. They want to free themselves from God's authority. They want to dictate their own rules to live a life as if God didn't exist. And is it very different from our days? Is it very different from what we see happening? My body, my rules, says the rebel before is laying a baby yet in the mother's womb. Or freedom of love, as the rebel says before committing adultery. It's the same thing. This is what our sins means to a holy and just God. It's telling God that He is not, but I am. It's telling Him that we want to break free from His chains, break free from His law, and dictate our own rules. I am, you are not. It's mocking the King, a mockery to the King. It's the same thing that we see happening day after day around us. There is no neutrality. No such a thing as neutrality. He that is not with me is against me, say the Lord Jesus. So ultimately, every action of rebellion is aimed against the Lord, the great I Am, and His anointed King Jesus. But thankfully, this psalm does not end here. This psalm does not end here. And after voicing the rebels after giving voice to those who stand, who set themselves against the Lord, the psalmist now moves to the heavens. The psalmist now, as if the camera shifts from the earth to the heavens. What is the Lord's response? What is the Lord's response before all that is happening in the world? The heavenly authority of Christ Christ. And the scene that contrasts is almost comical. Is the Lord afraid? Is He thinking what to do? Is He walking one way and the other thinking how to respond to this mockery against Him? No. The Lord is in peace. As they rage upon the earth, the Lord is enthroned in the heavens. He sits and he laughs. He sits and he laughs, creating a great irony of the mockers being mocked by the king. They, their attempt is so absurd that the Lord sits in peace and he laughs. The contrast of these two. Choosings help us to refocus on what the truth is. A shift from the kings of the earth to the one who sits in the heavens. And notice how the title for the Lord in verse 4 is not all capital anymore. Is the title here is Adonai. Adonai, referring to His sovereignty, to His majesty, to His kingship. As if the psalmist were saying that the ones who are kings and rulers of, the, of those, this world, the ones who think that they are ruling while they are doing this, while they are raging, the one who is really ruling is mocking them. He is mocking them. The rulers are in rebellion to the Lord, but the one who is in the heavens mocks them. He sits and he laughs. While the weakness of this world seeks to dethrone him, he sits and he laughs. The mockers are mocked by the king. Now I know that I say that the, the heathen are raging, that they are in rebellion against the Lord and his church. And we are living this battle between the two seeds from Genesis 3.15 to the end of times. But even so we have no reason to fear. Our Lord is God, and He is the true King who is seated in the heavens, who holds our destiny. It's not this world. Who holds our destiny. It's not this. the kings and rulers of our times, but the one who sits in the heavens. Have not, have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou Dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whatsoever you go, as the Lord say to Joshua. And we often like to think ourselves as the Israelites, right? Strong and courageous, marching towards the promised land. Well, we are often like the Israelites, but like the Israelites in the desert, grumbling murmuring, grumbling to the Lord, complaining, fearful. But we should hold this promise. The promise that Christ is King changes the lenses that we see reality. You see, the problem with Christianity today is that we have a narrow vision. We often cannot see beyond the church's roof. We cannot see reality. We cannot see that the Lord is in the throne. He holds the destiny in His reign. He holds the kings and rulers. He sits and He laughs at them. If not even death could hold Him, the kings and rulers of our times can but cause Him to laugh. And not only He is the victorious King, but His authority is also eternal. Verse 6. God the Father is declaring Christ, the Son, the King, over all things. All things. A great declaration that what they are raging about, what they are trying to prevent, has already been declared in the heavens. God has set Him, and there is nothing that can frustrate this reality. The rulers of this world can do many things with their power. But God has set His King on Zion. And that is immutable, unchangeable. Nothing can change this reality. The King is set on Zion forever and ever. The Father has set the Son on the holy hill of Zion. And that is where our eyes should focus. That is where we should look. Lift up your eyes and look to Zion. In the midst of a world of hate, raging, look up to Zion, dear Christian. Look up to Zion. Lift up your eyes. Look up to Zion. Look up to the king who is enthroned in the heavens, who is king, no matter what. Lift up your eyes and see the throne of the Lord. Sometimes we may feel defeated, We may fear the opponent around us. We may fear the the mighty culture of our times and how it oppresses us so much. It is true. They are raging. They are mocking. But we have no reason to fear. We have a king set on Zion. Immutable, unchangeable, set on Zion. Look up to the king. Look up to the king. We may be tempted by entering into the battle, feeling defeated, fearing the opponent. But the reason that in Christ we have already won because His victory is the victory of the church as well. And this should impact how we live our lives. This should impact how we see our lives in every single area of our lives. That every single corner of our lives should be submitted to the King. As a church, this should impact how we see mission and evangelism, knowing that we are marching into battle victorious, carrying the very words of the King. We are calling the world to submit to the King with His authority, with His power. We are marching, carrying His message This should be the most powerful motivation for mission and evangelism as citizens. This should impact how we see politics, how we see culture, and even entertainment, knowing that there is no such a thing as neutrality. You cannot be neutral. There is no such a thing as being neutral before the king. You are either siding with those who are raging against the Lord or you are in submission to the King. As individuals, this should be a powerful tool in our fight against indwelling sin. Knowing that sometimes when we feel overpowered, when we feel that we are overpowered by our sins, we know that He has already won. And He has all power and authority. And now we can break free from our sins. Even when we feel so overpowered, we can look up to Him. We can look up to the King and know that we have the power to break free from our sins. And if these verses were already enough to confirm Christ's kingship, what we have next, what we have in the next verses is even greater. What we have in verses seven to nine is a conversation among the Godhead. Whereas a commentator said, this kind of, of verse, this kind of words may require us to remove the feet, the shoes from our feet. For we are entering into holy ground. We are allowed here to hear. A conversation among the Trinity. A testimony by Christ Himself. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me. To me. We have in these verses the conversation among the Trinity. As the Holy Spirit inspired the psalmist. Who is giving the words of Christ. Who is telling us what the Lord has said to him. So we have a conversation among the Godhead. Notice the first person. The Lord has said to me. He has said to me. Christ himself is the one who reveals the Father's decrees. The Messiah is proclaiming here the decree that the Lord has spoken to him. Of the very relationship between, between the Father and the Son. And this language may sound strange for us today of the Son being begotten of the Father. Well, this could not mean the beginning of His sonship by any means, for this, and, and not even to the beginning, to the, Jesus' birth in His human nature, for this was still thousands of years from happening. But when we look to the New Testament, it becomes very clear to what this is referring to. Remember that I say that this is a military psalm? Well, when we look to the New Testament, it becomes clear that this is His coronation, His exaltation. Notice in Acts 13, verse 33, how this verse, this very verse, is said to refer to Jesus' resurrection. Acts 13.33 God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that He has raised up Jesus again. It is also written in the second Psalm. You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Notice also Romans 1 verse 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power. So He is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So you see, by the resurrection from the dead, through the resurrection, through His resurrection and ascension, Jesus Christ is declared before the whole world to be the Son with power. So his resurrection and his ascension begins then at the beginning of his exaltation, his his coronation, he's being crowned as son with all power. It's not the beginning of his sonship, it's the beginning of his exaltation, being crowned with glory and power before the eyes of the whole universe. declared to be the Son. With power. And what then is the scope of His kingdom? Look with me to verse 8. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. The ends of the earth for your possession. All belongs to Christ. The whole universe and everyone is given to the Son. Is given to Christ as King. As, As Abraham Kuyper said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, "Does not cry, mine. It is mine." Everything and everyone in the whole universe, he can put his finger and say, it is mine, belongs to me. Everything, everyone was given to him as king over the universe. It doesn't matter if you submit to him or not. Everything belongs to Him. Everything, on to the Son's submission, all was given to Him, and He will hold everything and everyone account. All belongs to Him. You see, the only way that He can send His church to a hostile world, the only way that He can send us to the ends of the world to make disciples of all nations is because it was given to Him. It's because it belongs to Him and now He's claiming it. All was given to Him and now He sends us because it belongs to Him. That is the only way that He sends us to a hostile world because first was given to Him. Do you realize how this changed the picture? Do you realize how this should impact our lives? Although the nations and rulers are raging, we are not quietly passive. We are not sitting in our chairs waiting for something to happen. No! No! We should be marching with confidence. Marching with the confidence that the gates of hell shall not prevail against His church. You see how this changed the picture? Our King is enthroned in the heaven and all was given to Him. Why are you afraid, church of Christ? This should impact how we see everything. They should give us the confidence to march into battle that doesn't matter what happens. It was given to Him. We don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know the end of the battle, but we know the end of the war. It was given to Him. And nothing can change the heavenly decree that Christ is King. And on verse 9, we see with trembling that He will submit all nations under His feet, one way or the other. Verse 9, You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. We see that He will submit all under his feet, either by submission, either by kissing the sun, or through the rod of iron. But either way, he will submit all unto him. The world does not welcome Christ with open arms, so he crushes them with the rod of iron. And the expression here can be understood also as shepherd, as this, uh, the same idea as ideas, rule, as the New Testament quotes in Revelation 19, 15, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And the point is that his rule has two functions. First, to, dis- to discipline. To discipline and to bring in those or belong to him to his church to, co- to bring correction and discipline to his people, but also to break them in- incorrigible, to break those who don't submit to him. And although this idea is becoming unpopular in our days, we must recognize that Christ is as is that he is as much king. As he is judge, as he is the judge of all, and he will punish all iniquity. It should call our attention as well that this verse is quoted another times in the, in the book of Revelation, but not referring to Christ, but to all those who overcome Revelation two twenty six and twenty seven to all those who overcome, that is, His church, referring that His kingship will be executed not only by Him, but by all elects in Him. What was promised about Christ is fulfilled not only by Him, but by all those who are in Him. Again, this should reinforce our idea that we are marching into battle carrying the very words of our King, giving us the confidence to march into battle, knowing that in the same way that He prevails, so will we, so will His Church. This should give us the confidence to rest in the promises that are given to the King. We may not understand what is happening around us. We may not understand what is happening in the political powers around us, because sometimes it can be quite mysterious. But even so, even so, we know the score of the war. We can rest because we know who controls the decrees. We know who holds the decrees. We know the outcome. And what then is the call that we bring to all the nations? What is the call that we bring to all the nations? This is what we see in the last verses. A call to submission or subjugation to the king. The kings and rulers are now given an opportunity, a chance to repent. Through five invitations on verses 10 to 12. Now, therefore, be wise. Be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. First of all, it's an invitation to choose reason. Be wise. Be instructed. In another, in another word, don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Choose reason. To go against the Lord's decrees, nothing but stupidity. Be wise. Don't be a fool. But this is what people do, isn't it? This is what we see happening, isn't it? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. As Paul says in Romans 1, But when we sin, when we align with the world, when we sin against the Almighty God, we are doing the same thing. When we align ourselves with the kings and rulers of our days, even in a passive way, we are making ourselves fools. Don't be fool. Be wise. Be warned, be instructed. Choose wisdom, choose reason. To align yourselves with the world is stupidity. The end of those who rebel against the king is destruction. Be wise. Second, how to approach the Lord verse 11 serve the lord with fear and rejoice with trembling again this is an image that sounds strange for us today an idea that is becoming foreign for us as our culture has developed this this idea this sense of god almost as a buddy someone that you can approach careless That you can enter before the presence of the king careless. Rejoice with trembling? What does it mean? How can you rejoice with trembling? People have forgotten the image, the idea of coming before the king especially in worship. This idea of approaching the Lord careless was never the biblical view, especially in worship. As you come to the presence of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, notice what the author to the Hebrews says, as we are invited into the presence of God, into Mount Zion, the presence of the judge of all, we come to worship and we do so with trembling. For our Lord is consuming fire. He not only was consuming fire, but He is consuming fire. This is the reality of coming to Mount Zion. To come before the presence of the judge of all. To the Lord who is holy. 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 And is the king who will judge all iniquity. We come with trembling. But we cannot disbalance this view. We come with trembling. But even so. We come rejoicing. We come Rejoicing. We come rejoicing because we know that we do so through the blood was sprinkled. As they also, through the Hebrews also say, through the blood who was sprinkled. And it now gives us access to the presence of God. It gives us boldness to enter through the veil because we know that what the king has done, we know that the work was fulfilled. It is done, Lord, and we can walk in boldness to the presence of the King. As Derek Kidner said, rejoice with trembling is the appropriate mixture of emotions in face of so great of a King. This is how we approach the Lord. We come trembling for we know that He's holy, holy, holy. But we come rejoicing because we know that His holiness through Christ now belongs to us, to His children. So we jo- rejoice with trembling, Church of Christ. And third, the invitation to full submission. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Verse 12. Kiss the son here is a sign of submission. Remember that I said that this is a military psalm. So, after the battle, the defeated king would be dragged into the presence of the victorious king. And now as a sign of submission, as a sign of homage to the victorious king, he would kiss the feet of the victorious king. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. We are now commanded to do the same. We are invited to do the same thing. Now that this truth was exposed before our eyes, we are called to kiss the Son, to give full submission to the Son. You see, it is easy to call Jesus Christ as King. I'm sure that all of us, or at least most of us, would say, Yes, Christ is King. That is true. But can we say that we have submitted the whole of our lives, all of our lives to Him? Can we say that Christ is King in every corner of our lives? In our marriage, in our work, in our studies, in our relationships, in our friendships, in everything that we do, in everything that we say, in every thought that we have. Can we say that Christ is King in every single thing that we do? Submit all of our lives to Him. Give full submission to the Son. Kiss the Son. Lest He be angry. And that is a reminder that the end of those who don't submit to Him is destruction. 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 We see in Psalm 1 verse 6 for the Lord knows that the way of the righteous the Lord knows the way of the righteous but now in, in Psalm 2 we see that those who don't walk with the Lord will perish in the way the end of those walk in rebellion to the Lord is destruction. You see how different are these two ways? How different are these two ways? There is only two ways, brothers. There are only two ways. There is no third way. There is no middle path. Either you walk in rebellion against the Lord, or you give full submission to Him. To Christ Jesus, as Lord and King. We must submit all unto Him. All unto Him. And finally, the psalmist finishes in the same way that Psalm 1 began. Remember that I said all oh, these two psalms are so connected. These two psalms are in fact bracketed together by the opening of Psalm 1 and now the closing of Psalm 2. The end of the godly and the ungodly are the same in both Psalms. Those who submit are blessed, but the ungodly shall not stand in judgment. Verse 5. See with me the opening of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And now the closing of Psalm 2, the end of verse 12. Blessed are all... Those who put their trust in Him. these two psalms are bracketed together by those who walked in the Lord. They are blessed. Blessed are those who submit to Him. Blessed are they who take refuge in Him, who take ref- the idea here of trust is taking refuge in Him. And this provides us an incredible picture. Kind of ironic. That we take refuge in Him, from Him. You see the greatest danger? The greatest danger that this psalm is showing us is not the kings and rulers of our times. The greatest danger... It's not the raging of the heathen. The greatest danger, it is a holy God who is the judge of all. The greatest danger is being found guilty before the throne of the Lord, before the throne of the King. is being found guilty before a holy judge. The only place of refuge is in Him, from Him. You see how this helps us to refocus our eyes, how this changes the way that we see reality, how this changes the panorama of reality. The greatest danger is not those who are oppressing the church, who are mocking our faith. The greatest danger is the throne of the king. Oh, what a picture. What a picture that there is only refuge in him. Run to him. Seek him. There is no other place who can protect you from him. Christ is our only place of safety and it is in him that we find safety, that we find security, that we find peace, that we find bliss and happiness blessed are those who take refuge in him and now let me ask you this question what is this place? what is this place that judgment in deliverance meet together. Or where is this place that we find refuge in him from him? Or when? When have we seen this exchange taking place? The just for the unjust. The answer is simple, isn't it? It is in the cross of the King Himself. It is in the cross of the Lord Jesus. The cross of Christ is the place that judgment and deliverance meet together. That wrath and love come together. He shields us. He shields us. He delivers us. From the wrath of God. Drinking the cup of wrath himself. And pouring out his love. It is only through the cross. And it is precisely in the cross that we see this very picture of judgment. Fierce judgment. Wrath. And mercy and love flowing out for His people. The cross of Christ is the place where we can find refuge and deliverance, salvation. And what a tremendous truth that salvation is both from Him and through Him. Through Him. You see how this The dark background of the divine judgment. It is against this background that the diamond of the gospel shines brighter. The reality that we find refuge in Him through the blood of the Lamb who was sprinkled for us. Do you realize how this should impact all of our life He's king. He's king no matter what. No matter what the enemies of our days may scream. And they are very loud and screaming and mocking. Jesus Christ is king. The world may rage and yell. But we are the ones who should be marching marching with the confidence that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. So on this side of eternity that we are, we should be filled with confidence, marching towards the celestial city, to the King's heavenly city, knowing that He is King, no matter what. And let me apply Christ's kingship to a much-needed area in our days. That although our society rage and yell, they're sick. At the same time, our society is sick. Let me exemplify with one common problem, which is hopelessness. Hopelessness is feeling our society, not only outside the church, but even in the church. And perhaps the most severe case is suicide. Not not merely depression, but suicide. When someone becomes so perhaps either self-absorbed or worldly-absorbed, falls into severe despair despair, and takes his own life. There were 48,000 deaths by suicide in 2018 in the US. It is the 10th leading cause of death in the country. Twice as many deaths than by homicide. And that was in 2018 before COVID and an even greater rise of despair. We can become so self absorbed, so worldly minded that we, that we lose sense of reality that we lose perspective of the throne and we may fall into despair. We need to correct our visions. We need to change the the lenses through which we see the reality. We need to refocus our eyes to see reality, to see what is happening through the lenses of some truth through the lenses of reality. Our greatest danger is not this world. Our greatest danger is not the things of this world. It's not sickness. It's not political powers. The greatest danger is the wrath of God that is revealed from heaven against all those who commit iniquity. And the greatest hope, it's not this world either. The greatest hope doesn't come from this world either. It's not kings and rulers. It is the king himself. The greatest hope to find security, the greatest hope to find refuge is the king himself. Look up to Zion. Seek him. Go to him. Go to the king. Change the lenses through which you see reality. It doesn't matter from every single condition of life, you need to see the king. You see, the Psalter is our very paradigm of worship. It shows us how from lament to praise, we need to see the King and worship Him. In every possible circumstances of life, either in lament, either under persecution, or in thanksgiving and rejoicing, we need to see the King. These two Psalms, Psalms 1 and 2, gives us in a nutshell the theme of the whole Psalter, which is then unveiled through all the Psalter. There are two ways, and only one king. See the King. Lift up your eyes and see the King. And finally, how then? How do we become the righteous man of Psalm 1. How can we become this righteous man of Psalm 1? Let me answer this with the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23 verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, That I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper. And execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel, that is us, his church, will dwell safely. Now, this is his name by which he will be called. Pay attention, church. This is his name by which this king will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. As we submit to Christ, we are now allowed to call him the Lord, our righteousness see it's not only enough it's not only enough to recognize Christ as king as a righteous king if we cannot call him our righteousness it is through him that we become righteous fully righteous that we become the righteous man of someone clothed with his righteousness the lord The Lord Himself. Our righteous. The only way. That we can find refuge. Is if we can call Him. The Lord. Our righteousness. And He becomes our hope. And we find refuge in Him. From Him. Everything else. The Lord, our righteousness. Amen. Amen. Let us pray to the Lord and King. Let us pray to Him. O Lord, our God, we come before You, Lord, knowing that Thou art a holy, holy, holy Lord. King of kings and Lord of lords. And oh Lord, we know that we have sinned against You, Lord. That we are undeserved sinners, Lord. And we come with trembling before the King, Lord. But we come in full submission, Lord. Knowing that Thou art King forevermore and nothing can change this reality. So oh Lord, please clothe us with the righteousness of Christ. Help us to see the King, Lord. Lift up our eyes so that we can see the King, Lord. Help us to praise Thy name and to proclaim Thy name with boldness in this world of hate, of raging. O oh Lord, help us to march with boldness into battle, carrying the words of our King. And, O Lord, prepare us for the day that we will see our King face to face. Prepare us for the day that we will see the throne before us. We will see the King seated in the heavenly throne. And then we will cast our crowns at His feet and we will sing before the Lamb we we'll glorify His name and we'll sing Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Oh Lord, prepare us to crown Him forever and ever. Help us to do, to do today what we will do for all eternity. To crown and exalt the King. To magnify His glory. To worship at His feet and your feet, Lord. Prepare us to meet with our King who is also our Savior. Oh, Lord, for those who are here this morning and have not yet submitted to Christ, oh, Lord, have mercy. Help them to see, Lord. Help them to see the great danger of walking in the way of the wicked, the great danger that the end of those who walk away from the Lord is destruction. Help everyone here to see that you will submit all unto thee, Lord, either by grace or by the rod of iron. So, O Lord, we ask now in faithfulness of our King, Come, Lord Jesus, may thy kingdom come, and thy will be done, Lord, today and forevermore. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.